Those who are watching uh, live via the internet on our web, welcome. We're glad that you're with us at Kavanaugh, and uh, we're counting you today. So of the thousands of you who are watching, uh, we just tripled our, our attendance today. Uh, he was not well-educated, and his manner was somewhat crude, but he was recently converted to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm telling you, he was on fire for the Lord. And he kept coming to his pastor, pestering his pastor for something to do, and so finally, the pastor gave him a list of ten men who had not been to church in several months. His mission was to get these guys back in church. The pastor supplied him with church stationery, some envelopes, and a roll of stamps. Well, three weeks later, the pastor received a letter from a prominent physician in town with a check for $10,000. The letter read, Dear Pastor, Enclosed is my offering for the last few months. I'm very sorry for missing church, but rest assured I will be present this Sunday and from now on. Sincerely, M.B. Jones, M.D. P.S. Please inform your secretary there is only one T in dirty and no C in skunk. Some of y'all didn't get that, but here in a minute you'll get it and really laugh. Yeah. Uh, we've been talking about the ABCs of stewardship, uh, and we're on letter D this morning, which is the donation that you make to life. It's not the duration of life, but our donation to life that really counts. If you were to die today, what donation to life would you have made? Have you simply been a consumer, or have you been a contributor? In our passage on giving, Jesus teaches us that giving really has nothing to do with our assets. It has everything to do with our attitude. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 6 today. And in Luke chapter 6, Jesus did not have in mind how big your house is, or the number of vehicles you have, or even the type of clothes you wear. Because he knows that giving has little to do with these assets, and everything to do with your attitude. So let me just dive into this passage. I'm going to start reading in Luke chapter 6, verse 20. Then he, Jesus, lifted up his eyes toward his disciples, and this is what he said. Blessed are you poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and cast your name out as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. Now notice what Jesus is saying. He is saying blessed, or as some translations say, happy is the person who has no or very little finances. That is in verse 20 that you're poor. Or food, verse 21, you're hungry. Or friends, verse 22, when people hate you. Blessed or happy is the person who has no or little finances, food, or friends. Now, 
The world would pass a person like that by, wouldn't they? The world would look at a person like that and say, you loser. You have no finances, no food, or no friends. But Jesus says just the opposite. He said, this person is blessed, or this person is happy. Now I want to keep reading. Look at verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. In these verses, Jesus is saying, Woe and wretched are the people who have finances, food, and friends. Wow. Jesus is literally dropping a bombshell on these people. This entire passage has to do with giving. And Jesus begins by saying, Blessed are you when you have very few finances, foods, or friends. Woe to you who have a whole lot of finances, a whole lot of food, and a whole lot of friends. So the question arises, is Jesus anti-rich and pro-poor? And the answer is no. Because that has nothing to do with this passage. If you go back to verse 20, you see that Jesus is talking to his disciples, all of whom would die penniless or martyrs. So what is Jesus saying? I think Jesus is saying this. If you give your life to God and then give your life to others, even though you may have very little, you're going to be blessed. Because the giver of all things will make sure that you're blessed. On the other hand, if all you do in life is collect and consume and store up and hold on to and become a greedy gut, well, look at what Jesus said about this person. Verse 24, you have received your consolation. Or as some translations say, you have received your reward. In other words, you better enjoy it here because this is as good as it gets. If that's the way you look at life. What he's talking about are your values, your priorities, and your attitudes. He's asking, what have you committed your life to? What have you given your life for? That's a pretty good question. So let me just ask you, what have you committed your life to? I uh, went to Hillsdale College, Moore, Oklahoma, Bible College. Uh, I met my lovely wife, Angie, there. Angie knows this to be true. I very seldom went to the library. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it, was, it was not my favorite place to be. Uh, I usually only went there in my first year looking for chicks. Just kidding, trying to make you laugh. But very seldom did I go to the library. Every once in a while I did, and, and they had these little study cubicles in the library, and I always went to the same one because there was a little plaque that I always like to look at and read. And the plaque said, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's stuck in my heart. What have I committed my life to? Well, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You see, in stewardship and in life, there is a choice. Are you going to be a giver or will you be a taker? Will you be a consumer or will you be a contributor? 
And understand, this has nothing to do with your assets. It has everything to do with your attitude. So stop using the excuse that you have nothing to give because that's nothing but a lie. You do. You have plenty to give. You could give your time. Probably the most precious commodity we have, time. And all of us have the same amount of time, 24 hours in a day. What do you do with your time? You could give your time. All of us have been given talents or abilities by God. You're good at something. You could use that for His kingdom. And you could give that to others. And you know what? We all have stuff. I looked out in the parking lot before I walked in here. You have some nice stuff. I'm looking at you right now. You look good. You're dressed nicely. You have stuff. And so quit using that excuse. You know what? Giving is a matter of choice. Let me read on. Look at verses 27 and 28. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Let me ask you, how many assets does it take to love your enemy? How big does your checking account have to be in order to do good to those who hate you? Or to bless those who curse you? Or to do good to those who mistreat you? It's a choice. And we all make that choice. It has nothing to do with our assets. It has everything to do with our attitude. You know, there are many people who are great givers. And they have very little in this life. But it's a choice they've made. Back in the mid-80s, there were several earthquakes that did a lot of damage in Anchorage, Alaska. With millions of dollars of damage done, the governor's office was flooded with complaints and requests. And so the governor finally went on TV to tell the people that everything possible was being done and asked for their help and also their patience. He ended his program by showing them a three-by-five card that had been sent to him by a 10-year-old boy. There were two nickels taped on the card, and in 10-year-old penmanship, it said, Use this wherever needed, and if you need more, just let me know. <laughs> you got to love it, man. Millions of dollars of damage and two nickels. It's all in the attitude. And it's your choice. Now, I've gotten to my sermon. Let, let me give you three really quick truths about givers. Three truths about givers that Jesus tells us about in Luke chapter 6. Number one, givers live on a higher level than most other people do. You see, in life, there are two roads. Givers take the high road. Keepers walk the low road. What separates the givers and the takers on this high road? Well, Jesus tells us in the next few verses there are really three points of separation. For example, givers are positive activists. Look at verses 27 through 30. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who spitefully use you. And then listen to this. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. 
And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. In other words, if they take your coat, give them your sweater. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. Wow. It's not what we learn from the world, is it? That's not what our society teaches us. But what Jesus is saying is this, givers do the good thing and givers do the right thing regardless. Because they're walking on a different road. They're taking the high road. And so if somebody cuts you down, you don't turn around and cut them back down. If someone strikes you, you don't necessarily strike them back. If they take something, you just give it to them. It was Socrates who said, know thyself. Cicero said, control thyself. Jesus Christ said, give yourself. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to be givers. People who have given their life to Jesus Christ are always giving. It's in their nature. Because their heavenly Father is a giver. And they naturally give. You know, Christianity is not a list of don'ts. It is a list of do's. We are to love. We are to do good. We are to bless and pray and turn the other cheek. And we are to give and we are to keep on giving. The second point of separation between the high road and the low road is this. Givers do more than is expected of them. Look at verse 31. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive something back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. Wow! The world does not understand this kind of living. It is unnatural to them. Because this is the high road. It's being salt and it's being light. You are loving and you are doing good and you are giving to others. Why? Because you're a giver. Number three, givers do good asking nothing in return. That's the difference between walking the high road and the low road. Givers do good asking for nothing in return. Verse 35, but love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High. For he is kind, God is kind, even to the unthankful and the evil. You know, I, I read this verse and my head starts spinning, you know. Thinking, man, I didn't learn that going to school. I didn't learn that my one year at Texas Tech taking business classes. It's not the way the world operates. Here is one of the great paradoxes that we find in the Word of God. When he says in verse 35, And you lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. Well, that's the high road. 
You see, it's the bad steward who gives and then waits for something in return. They're really not givers at all. They're simply traitors. Both to God and to others. Well, I'll give you this, but you better give me something back in return. It's not giving. It's trading. Jesus asked these people, well, what credit is that to you? Big deal. In fact, he says that three different times, 32, 33, and 34. So what if you love people who love you? What credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. So what that you do good to people who are doing good to you? What, what credit is that to you? That's the way the world operates. And big deal that you lend hoping to get something back in return and maybe a little more. What credit is that to you? That's the way the world acts. Wow. On the other hand, the good steward gives without expecting anything in return. They just do it because God tells them to do it. They're, they're, not, they're not traitors. They're not trying to get something back from you. And I hate to belabor this point, but do, do you know who pe people who keep score? We took them out to eat twice. Yeah. Every sermon I've preached in this series, I've, I've shown you this, uh, this kind of pyramid thing, the levels of giving, but I've, I've used different words to describe it. I'm going to do the same thing again today because I want you to see this. There are three levels of givers. The, the top level I'm going to call are grace givers. And here's what a grace giver is thinking. What can God do through me? I mean, how can God use me to be a blessing to somebody else? And how can I bless God back for what He has given to me? They, they live on that level of grace. It's all about grace. They understand that everything they have is a gift from God. Number uno, salvation. That's a gift from God. That's the grace of God. What better gift could you get? <laughs> And they understand the principle of ownership and being a manager. God owns it all. I'm simply a manager. I'm taking care of it for the Lord. So they understand that giving is a grace. The middle level are these grit givers. They're always asking, what is God going to make me do? What is God going to make me give? And when they give, they're gritting their teeth. Arrgh. I watch some of y'all when the offering plate is passed, and I see the, you know, the grit in your teeth. It's like a chain is connected to that check, and you just have a hard time pulling it. Ugh. You know just enough Bible to understand that you, you need to be giving, but boy, you have a hard time doing it. Middle level. Bottom level is the get-even level. It's not what does God want to do through me. It's what, what do I want to do with what I have, because that's the way you look at it. It's mine. I earned it. It's mine to do with what I want to. And when you live on this bottom level, you will always want to do unto others just as you have been done unto. It's the kind of way you live. What is the response of these three people? Well, when you live on that bottom level and you're a get-even giver, you want to keep it all yourself, I'm not going to give anything. You know what you are? You're lonely. You're lonely. Because it's all about you. And all you care about is getting and consuming and hoarding and having more. And it's a lonely life. 
People don't want to be around you. That middle level of givers, the grit givers, here's, here's what they say. I'll give, but I expect something back. And so you know what they are? They're frustrated because they're always keeping their list. And when they give you something and they don't get something back from you, they're, ooh, ugh, it makes them mad. And they're frustrated. The top level... They say, you know what, I'm going to give knowing that God, not other people, is the resource of everything I have. And so, you know what, it doesn't matter. And you know what these people are? I'm going to quote the, the great philosopher of 2013, Brother Phil, you're happy, happy, happy. That's what Jesus said. Blessed or happy are these people. Wow. Three truths about givers. Number one, givers live on a higher level than most people. Number two, givers understand the principle of sowing and reaping. I'm going to read verses 37 and 38. Notice the conjunction and. Judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and... And it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. That's the principle of sowing and reaping. The principle of sowing and reaping is not, I give you something now and you give me something back in return. The principle of sowing and reaping is basically twofold. First of all, it's understanding that God is the source of all blessings. In verses 32 through 34, he kept asking that question three times. What credit is it to you? So what? You love people who love you. What credit is that to you? So what? You do good to people who are nice to you. What credit is that to you? So what? You lend hoping to get something back in return. What credit is that to you? Jesus is saying, if that is the way you do life, verse 24 is your reward. You've received it right now. This is as good as it gets. Wow. That's terrible. You want to be depressed, think about that. But, but those of us who, who understand sowing and reaping, we understand, hey man, that's, this is not all there is. <laughs> For, for the believer, it's, this is the bad part. It's about to get real good. Okay? The second principle of sowing and reaping is this. We do good without seeking earthly reward. You're going to be rewarded by God and not others. We don't look to other people to be our blessing. It's God who is our blessing. That's what sowing and reaping is all about. You've heard the name Winston Churchill and perhaps the name Alexander Fleming. But did you know these two guys were connected? Here's the story. When Winston Churchill was a boy, he was visiting friends in Scotland, and they went swimming. He almost drowned. Alexander Fleming was an, another young man there, the son of the gardener, and he jumped in and saved Winston Churchill. He saved his life. The elder Churchill was, was so was so overwhelmed with gratitude that he told the young man, I I'll do anything for you. Let me be a blessing to you. And Alexander Fleming said, well, I'd like to go to medical school. So Mr. Churchill paid his bill to go to medical school. Years later, when Churchill was in Egypt, 
He became deathly ill with pneumonia. The same guy, Alexander Fleming, went there with a new medication that he had discovered, penicillin, and for the second time, he saved Winston Churchill's life. The Bible says, cast your bread on the water and in many days it will return to you. Let me tell you something, folks. You can't outgive God. You need to under- Listen, Christian, you need to understand this principle of sowing and reaping. This is the way God operates. He tells you to do something, to give something. By faith, you give it. You sow it. You will re- re- reap and receive a blessing from that. Some way or another, God is going to bless you for that. That's just the way God works. Man, I wish I had a lot of time this morning. I, I could tell you story after story of how this happens. But one, one, one more quick story and then I'll go on. A few weeks ago, Russ and I went to, down to Louisiana. Uh, there's, a, there's a friend of ours down there uh, who's doing some work on our cowboy action guns, okay? It's so important to us. He was, he was slicking them up. His name is Slick McClay, great guy. We went down there. We were going to pick up some rifles that Slick had worked on and uh, we, we went down there to Quitman, Louisiana, spent a little time in his... In his uh, uh, workroom with him, and uh, he, he, he is a national and world champion uh, cowboy action shooter. The guy's great, great at shooting. And so we asked Slick uh, if he could spend a little time with us to show us some, some tricks so we can get a little faster. Because cowpoke, we just, we, we just want to shave microseconds off of our time, cowboy shoot. Now, most of you aren't getting any of this, but just follow along with me. There's a... There, <laughs> And so he did. He, he owns a, a gun range back there, and he took us out, and, uh, and he, he spent two hours with us at least. And he was showing us stuff that, man, it, was just, it made a whole lot of sense. But we, he watched us, and he broke down our, our shooting. And he t- if you just do this, you can be faster. And if you just do it this way, you can be faster. And, I mean, we were learning so much. I mean, trying to remember everything. And it was getting dark, and we were going to have to leave. And, and so, you know, Russ and I was talking over here while we were loading our guns, and Slick was over there. What are we going to give this guy for doing this? Because, I mean, he had spent two or three hours with us, you know, and, and he was away from his family. He's just being nice to us. And, and I said, I, you know, I don't know. We need to give him something. And so we were loading our guns back up, and I was over on the other side of the vehicle, and Russ was over there with him. And Russ, Russ he's a giver, man. Russ is a giver. He pulled out a $100 bill, and he said, Slick, I want to give you this just for... Cheryl, you didn't know this, so sorry. He said, I'm going to give you this for, for your time. And I'm on the other side of the vehicle, Jason, and I've already pulled my wallet out. And I pulled out $50. Yeah. And I heard Russ say, I want to give you this 100 And I said, dude. I said this to myself, dude, no. Because if I gave him 50 I'd look like a cheapskate. Uh, and I was sweating, you know, in this battle going on. Eh. So I put the 50 back and pulled out 100. And I went around there and I gave him my 100. I said, man, we appreciate you, Slick. And he said, guys, I'm not taking your money. I'm not taking your money. And we said, oh, yes, you are. We've kept you away from your family. You've been good to us. And this is just a little token of our gratitude. Well, he, he was doing some more work for us, and so we spent the night in a motel, and we went back to his place the next morning, which was Tuesday morning. And he said, first thing, he said, guys, i got to tell you this story. 
And we knew Slick was a Christian. We knew he went to church, but uh, he, he goes to a Pentecostal church down there in Louisiana. And he said, here's the story. He said, on Sunday, missionaries came to our church, and we knew they were coming. It's been announced for a long time. Uh, they're trying to, to build a church. I, I don't know. I can't remember where it was at. Guatemala, building a church in Guatemala. He said, my wife and I prayed about what we were going to give to this missionary. And so on Friday, I went to the bank and I withdrew $200 from my savings account. And I gave that as an offering to them on Sunday night. And then you two guys show up on Monday. And out of the blue, you give me $200. He said, I couldn't believe it. I went home and I told my wife, and we praised the Lord. I called my preacher and I said, Preacher, you're not going to believe what just happened to me. God blessed me. And, and preacher, you, you won't believe who God used to bless me. He used a Baptist preacher. <laughs> That's the principle of sowing and reaping. God may not give you back the $200 in cash, but let me tell you, God is going to bless you. That's just the way God works. The third truth about givers is this. Givers are blessed by God. Verse 38, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Giving becomes a habit of life. It becomes who we are. John D. Rockefeller Sr. was a billionaire at the age of 50, but he was eaten up with sickness. He was greedy, not a giver. At age 53, the doctors told him he would be lucky to live a year. He existed on eating crackers and drinking milk. That's all he could take. He got his affairs in order and and he decided he was going to start giving some of his fortune away. And so he started giving to churches and hospitals. And medical advancements began through the Rockefeller Foundation. He became a giver. But all of a sudden a transformation took place in his life. He released through giving all the poison in his system. And he lived to be 90 years old. That's the difference giving can make. Many of you are killing yourselves because you are only concerned and consumed with yourself. You have become bitter and angry and stingy. And that's not the way God created you. Because let me tell you, it is not the duration of your life but it is the donation to life that counts. So we come to the end of this series on stewardship. And you might say, well, preacher, what, what is my responsibility as a Christian? What is my responsibility as a Christian steward? Well, I'm going to end this morning by reading one passage of Scripture from the book of Malachi. And you've probably been wondering, when's preacher going to get to this passage in Malachi if he's preaching on stewardship? Well, here it is just at the end. Malachi chapter 3. Listen to what God said. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, 
In what way shall we, we return? Verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way, God, have we robbed you? And God says, You have robbed me in tithes and in offerings. And we stop right here and, and just reinform you so you can remember. The tithe is taught throughout the Bible. The tithe is this. If you're a Christian, 10% of what you make belongs to the Lord. It's non-negotiable. If you belong to Him, you give that back to Him. 10% of whatever it is, you give it back to Him. Offerings are on top of that. God is saying to the people of Israel, you, you've robbed me because you have withheld what belongs to me. Remember, who is the owner? It's God. And he's just asking for what he owns, the 10%. And here's what he says in verse 9. He's saying this to the church. You are cursed with a curse. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want Almighty God cursing me. I don't want God to put a curse upon me, do you? You know what? Here's the deal. And, and a lot of y'all get real fidgety when I talk about stuff like this. And, and I guarantee you there's going to be somebody who's, who's gotten mad through this series on stewardship and they'll probably quit the church. But let me... It's because you don't understand. This is, this is such a principle of importance with God. God wants you to understand this. And I want you to be blessed. Here is the way you get out from under that curse. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. So here's what you do. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And here's what God says. You test me in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Now, here's, here's the deal. A lot of even Christians, they just can't get this. They don't understand it. How in the world can I give God 10% and have more after I give Him the 10% than before I gave it to Him? And on a piece of paper, I can't prove that to you. I, I don't know how it works, but I know it works. And God is so sure that it works that He says, put me to the test. You test me. I used to do this years ago here at Cavanaugh Church. I'd give you a little uh, uh, 1090 card to sign. Y'all remember those 1090s of you who've been here for a long time? It was, it was a that really putting God to the test where you commit to, to tithing for 90 days 10% of your income. And it was a money-back guarantee. Well, I don't have those forms for you today. We're not doing that anymore. But, but I, I'm, I, I've already talked to our treasurer, our board chairman, and our assistant chairman, and they're, they're okay with it because it's just biblical. Well, you can test God. I challenge you. If you're not tithing, I challenge you today, put God to the test. Put Him to the test. You give Him 10% what belongs to Him, and you just see what God does. God will bless you in return. You will not want for anything. It's a money-back guarantee. I guarantee it. It'll work. And after tithing for 10% for 90 days, if, if God doesn't bless you and meet your need, you just come back. You can come back to me or you can come back to Brother Paul, our treasurer, and say, you know, I've tried this and it didn't work. I, I, I'd like my money back. We'll give you your money back. 
I got an, an old friend. He's, he's gone now. His name was Bob Fraley. Uh, he invented the 1090 program. And for years and years, he went and taught this in churches. I've, I had him here at Kavanaugh years ago. In fact, every church I pastored, I had Bob Fraley come and, and do the 1090 thing. In the thousands of churches he's been in to present the 1090, he says that there was only one time anybody ever came back and asked for their money back. And it wasn't a free will Baptist. <laughs> what God said. So what is your responsibility? Here it is. Turn to me. That's what he said in verse 7. You, you return to me. Trust me. Verse 8. In verse 10, test me. Test me. God is pretty confident. God is confident. Why? Because he owns it all. <laughs> so put him to the test. You know where all this begins? It begins when we give him our heart. We commit our heart to Him, our life to Him. We trust Him with who we are on the inside. Have you done that? If you've not been saved, I encourage you to come today and receive Christ as your Savior. If you're here today and you're away from God, you come back home to Him today. And then for the rest of us, all of us, I'm challenging you today to come to the altar and just bring everything you have. You know, not, not, not really, but you know what I'm talking about. You just bring it. Bring all your stuff and present it to the Lord. Lay your body or your life as a living sacrifice out before God today. And say, God, I give it all to you. I give you my kids, my family. I give you my job, all the stuff, my talents, my time. Lord, I'm giving it all to you today. And I'm trusting you with it. And you just see what God does for you. He will open the windows of heaven and bless you in a way that's going to knock your socks off, man. <laughs> because that's the way he is. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless our church today. I pray, dear Lord, that if somebody is here and they've never been saved, that today they would come and receive you as their Savior. Lord, if there's a Christian who's just backslidden and away from you, I pray that they would come and recommit their life to you. But dear Lord, for the rest of us, all of us, I pray that we would come this morning and just give you everything and hold nothing back for ourselves. Lord, for the people who are really struggling with this stewardship issue, I pray that they would cross that continental divide in their own life today and that they would become givers and that they would truly trust you, Lord, with everything in their life. I ask this in Jesus' name.